as we sing, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. I imagined in my mind my heart. And it didn't look like a realistic heart. It looked like the Valentine's heart, but my heart looked like a map. And one part of my heart was work. And another part of my heart was money. And another part of my heart was family. And another part was other relationships. And, and each of these parts had their own they were a big section, but they were broken down into smaller sections. Relationships had, had individual relationships, and, and each section was like that. And it was like God saying, in those little parts, you've made divisions, you've made borders, you've made walls, you've made places and paths where I can go through your life, but other places, you've put roadblocks, and you've said, I don't want you here. And God is calling me and all of us to surrender every bit of our lives and every part of our hearts to him. Our service, our, our passage today is Acts chapter 21. And we're going to be reading verses 26 to 40. And uh, since we're picking up, we've actually stepped out of Acts the last couple of weeks. I want to kind of remind us where we are before we read this passage. Uh, Paul has done all of his great missionary journeys, three great missionary journeys. And, uh, of course, we picked up on Paul after we talked about uh, Peter and John and Philip and all these other apostles. And, and Acts kind of turned and focused on Paul. And we've been looking at all these journeys he's made. But he's going to make some journeys, but they won't be like his missionary journeys. At least they won't be journeys he plans. Because this is uh, now as he is in Jeru back in Jerusalem, uh, he's about to leave that city for the very last time. When he gets back into Jerusalem, we talked about the last time we were in Acts, that he met with the believers, and they were excited for all that was going on in God's kingdom. But as soon as they said, amen, brother, that's wonderful, all you've reported, they said, now, we got a little issue we need to talk to you about. There's a story. <clears throat> There's a report about you. There's a word going around that you're teaching people to totally disregard the Jewish faith and, and all the customs and practices that we've ever followed in, in serving our God. And, and we need to be really careful. And so they set up a plan how Paul could go in with some other, some young men who were fulfilling a vow, and he could pay for their vow to be fulfilled, and he could show people that he really was not disrespecting uh, the Jewish laws and way of life, but he was just preaching uh, Jesus as the fulfillment, as the Messiah. And that plan seemed to be working. The Jewish Christians who were worried about Paul, they seemed to be okay but we come to find out that there are other Jews who are not okay with Paul. And we're going to hear what happens um, in this passage today. So would you stand with me as we read Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 26. <clears throat> so Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. They'd already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the dates when their vows would end. And the sacrifices would be offered for each of them. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple. 
and they roused a mob against him. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city with Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed that Paul had taken him into the temple. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. And as they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. And when the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. Some shouted one thing and some another. Since he couldn't find out the truth and all the uproar and confusion, he ordered Paul to be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent that the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him. And the crowd followed behind, shouting, Kill him! Kill him! Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and Lord, as we look at this passage from your word, Lord, we're reminded that, um, God, you're with us in all situations, and you can teach us through the bad and the good, through examples of people who do what we should do and we should follow and examples of what we should avoid. Lord, I pray that uh, we would learn uh, more about what you expect of us and how, Father, how we can be the kind of people that bring honor to your name. God, we pray and we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You can be seated. Today is, today's message is entitled, If All Your Friends Were Jumping Off the Cliff, or Avoiding a Mob Mentality. A mob mentality is a little bit different than peer pressure, although it is similar. Peer pressure is, is often uh, one friend or two friends saying, hey, do this. If you want to fit in, if you want to be cool, do this. A mob mentality is a little bit different. It is something that spreads so quickly and everyone's doing it, everyone's getting in on it, that without thinking, people are caught up. People who are normally good, kind, rational people in the moment end up becoming angry and vindictive and even violent sort of people. Uh, we see this in our world today uh, all the time. Uh, there's protesters and counter-protesters uh, constantly. Uh, we see um, not so much uh, in our country, but it's in other places where we see mob violence, uh, actually people being killed at times. Uh, we certainly have seen uh, in our country uh, the effects of violence as one person uh, can take on and, and harm so many but beyond just physical violence, I think a mob mentality takes over in our country um, in online communication. 
We've gotten to the place where people can be uh, shamed almost instantaneously if they say or do the wrong thing or a thing that appears to, to sound the wrong way or be uh, politically incorrect or incorrect in some other way, all of a sudden there is a huge wave. Uh, negativity would be putting it the, the, the most lightly you could. Uh, there's this wave of anger and hate spewed out toward people. And we often find that the people who dogpile in to this, the people who jump on, they otherwise would not be the type of people to do that, but somehow this mob mentality takes over. And so I want us to think about um, what leads to it, what happened here in this situation. Paul was there, he was back, and uh, again, remember there was rumors and gossip going on around him, but, but he was at pains to show that he wasn't trying to take down or disrespect the Jewish people or the temple, and yet that he was accused of these very same things. Now, how did this happen? There were people all, not just a normal crowd of people, but there were people from all over in Jerusalem, Jews spread out from different places making pilgrimages because this was the time, uh, around the time of Pentecost, and they had come back to be in the holy city for that time. So these people are there, some of these same Jews who lived in places where Paul had ministered and they had rejected the gospel and they had become hateful to him. Now when they find out that he's back in Jerusalem in the holy city, they hate him even more. What leads to this mob mentality? The very first thing is a prejudice and a lack of discernment. These people who had made up their minds about Paul already, they'd heard the gossip, they'd heard the rumors, and they didn't even bother to find out what's the real deal, Paul, what's really going on. Uh, they, just, they just already believed. He's a bad guy. We hate him. We don't like him. And so they didn't ever bother to, to verify, is he really doing something wrong? They accused him of two things. They accused him of preaching against the Jews and the temple, and certainly he didn't do that, but they'd heard gossip that he did, and so they believed that. But secondly, they accused him of bringing a foreigner or a Gentile into the temple. Now, when they said into the temple, they didn't just mean the whole big temple complex, but they were talking about the special part of the temple where non-Jewish people could not go. You see, in Jesus' day, this temple, which is often called the Second Temple or the Herod Temple, um, it had been rebuilt. The one Solomon built had been destroyed, but this temple had been rebuilt bigger and better and greater than ever before. But it was a, a very compartmentalized temple. There was a general temple area. All this was on this huge temple mound. There was a general area where almost anybody could go, and that was called the Court of the Gentiles. Beyond that, no Gentiles could go, only Jewish people could go, and that was called the court of women. Beyond that, only Jewish men could go, and that was called the court of men. And then beyond that, there was a section where only the priests could go. And then finally, there was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go once a year. 
And the Jews were extremely serious about all of these little compartmentalized parts of the temple. You better not go where you weren't supposed to go. They were so serious that the, that the Romans of that day had actually made an exception for them. Because by Roman law, the one thing local governments could not do, you know, Rome gave them a lot of freedom, but they could not put someone to death on their own. That had to be brought before the Romans. But they actually made an exception for these Jews. They, they kind of allowed them to self-police, to take care of their own business. And archaeology has actually found a couple of the plaques, and there was a bunch of them all across this dividing line, which divided the, the court of the Gentiles from the court of women and other places where the Jews could go. But we've actually found from archaeology a couple of these plaques and modern translation is roughly, if you're not a Jew and you value your life, don't cross this line. Or your life is on your own head, it's on you. They were that serious about not crossing the line. In fact, a lot of people uh, think that uh, when Paul in one of his letters talks about God removing the dividing line between Jews and Gentiles, that he was probably referring to that line in the temple because we know that we can come to God directly, and it doesn't matter what your background or your genealogy, whether you're uh, a Jew or whether you're uh, related to Pocahontas, it doesn't matter what your ancestry is, we can all come uh, to Jesus. And by the way, I still feel special in Burger King when I put my crown on. I don't care what you say, that crown makes me feel good. But... So we see how, how serious they were uh, about all of this stuff. And so they got really mad at Paul because there was a guy from Ephesus who was with him in the city. And remember these other Jews from out of town, they were in Jerusalem. Well, they know this guy, and they know that he's not a Jew. And they've seen him with Paul in the city. And what did they do? They didn't see him with Paul in the Jewish part of the temple where he couldn't go because Paul didn't take that guy there. But they just made an assumption. They already didn't like Paul. So they had prejudice. They believed the gossip going around, and they assumed that he was doing bad. And so mob mentality, whether it's physical violence, whether it's bullying, whether it's online mob mentality, it begins with these prejudice and lack of discernment. What adds to it also is, uh, secondly, being quick to anger, or in other words, hot-headedness. Mob mentality happens when a bunch of hot-headed people get together, and nobody says, wait, stop, cool down, let's think about this for a minute. The Bible warns us over and over about anger. It says that man's anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It tells us to not let the sun go down on our wrath. In other words, we're going to get angry in life, but we better limit that anger as much as possible because anger is out to get us. Anger is out to ruin your life. Did you know that? Did you know that in the very book, beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when God spoke uh, to Cain and Abel, he talked to Cain about his attitude. He said, anger is at the door. And the words he used pictured a wild animal that is crouching and is ready to leap on and take control and take over and tear apart 
a person. And anger is like this. If you and I do not control our anger, it can lead us to say and to do things that we would never do if we were calmly thinking, things that we regret. Words come out of our mouth and we say, come back, come back, but we can't get them back. They've been said already. Actions that we've made that offense or cause harm to people. So we need to be so careful that we don't get caught up. And Christians are guilty. Do you know that over the years, there have been so many different Christians who've, they've got an email about a certain company, and we hear that they're doing something uh, satanic, or they're doing something just wrong or weird. And, you know, sometimes those things are true, but oftentimes they're hoaxes, and they're the same ones that circulate every few years. And there are often Christian people who get upset and angry and say, I'm going to boycott and I'm going to do, I, I'm not going to buy their stuff anymore. I'm going to protest them. And it wasn't even something that really happened at all. You and I need to be so careful as Christians because we, of all people, should understand that the world often has prejudice about Christians, that they look at us and make assumptions and, and, and they think things about us that, that aren't really true. We should be sensitive uh, above all other people to not be that same way towards others. <coughs> Anger will lead us into that mob mentality. And then finally, prejudice and discernment, hot-headedness, and then finally, revenge or not leaving vengeance to the Lord. The first century Jews were often described as having great zeal for the Lord. That is, they were passionate for God. But here's the interesting thing. Their passion, while that sounds really good, their passion for God, rather than applying that passion to saying, God, take the sin out of my own life. Let that be the passion within me. And God, let the passion within me be about serving and loving and caring for others. Instead, the passion within them, the zeal within them, was about finding what other people were doing wrong. And they were always ready to be angry. They were always ready to be offended at the drop of the hat if they thought they disrespected God, they went outside the line just a little bit, they broke the, the rules that God made up or maybe the rules that I made up about religion and about following him. And they were always sitting on go, just ready to punish people. Because they thought, apparently, although they called him almighty, glorious, all-powerful God, apparently they thought that God couldn't handle his own business. They thought that it was their business, that God was too weak to be able to, to take care of things and to bring justice, and that they had to bring justice. So many times in our life, this mob mentality comes up, not when someone does something to us, but they do something to one of our friends or loved ones. And all of a sudden, we say, oh, this is, I'm not being sinful. This is righteous indignation. I mean, I'm, I'm angry with a cause. That's not right what they did to that other person. And somewhere in there, without saying these actual words, somehow we, we actually have a mentality, though, of I'm going to do God's job for him because I'm not sure if God is going to make sure that it's okay, so I'm going to make sure it's okay. You know, God, we're, we're a lot like Jonah. 
You remember Jonah, as he went to the Ninevites, he ran, he wouldn't go. God uh, ended up causing him to be in that belly of the whale. And finally, he gets back to Nineveh. He preaches and they repent. And in that last chapter of the book, we finally find out why, why Jonah was so angry and upset. He said, God, this is exactly what I thought would happen. I preach, and they repented, and now you're going to forgive them. In other words, God, I knew you were a softy. I knew you would let them off the hook, and I don't want them to be let off the hook. And yet, God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Or as Job says, will not, will not the, the judge of all the earth do what is right? In other words, you and I have to get this little God mentality off of our shoulders and actually say, God, you're the judge. God, you're the one who makes sure that everything comes out okay. You balance the scales. It's not my job to ensure that other people are kept in line or, or that they get what they deserve. God, you're not weak. You're not puny. You don't forget or overlook things. You see it all. You know it all. And so, therefore, I can leave justice up to you. I let the legal system run its course. If there's a church matter that somehow needs to follow church discipline, we'll do that. But otherwise, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of them. And I'm going to realize that just like I, I hope and, and, and pray that you'll have mercy on me, God, that you're going to sometimes have mercy on some other people that I really don't think deserve mercy. But guess what? i got to remember I didn't either. You see, we get caught up in violence, in anger, in cutting comments and words and actions and attitudes. We get caught up in those things when we think it's our job to set people straight when God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now, I want to say one other thing here, and that is about the proper role of government. Over and over in the book of Acts, you will see there's sometimes some, some uh, crooked officials and sometimes there's some unjust or or. or vain or prideful officials, but for the most part, what you will see is the government doing its job and preserving justice. Right here, Paul was a dead man until the Romans showed up. And some of you are thinking, how in the world did the Romans show up? How did they know what was going on? The Jewish people they kind of had a reputation for being hot-headed and troublemakers and causing riots, and they just had a bad reputation. And, and, and this wasn't, uh, this was from experience. The Jews constantly, there was issues going on. And so the Romans had a fortress that was actually built right off the corner of the temple. And they had a lookout tower that extended far into the skies where they could actually watch and make sure that some big riot or something wasn't breaking out in the Jewish temple. 
And so whoever was on guard that day would have seen the crowd suddenly massing, people rushing into the temple as the word spread, hey, we're going to take care of this guy, Paul. And so he sends down his soldiers, he sends down his centurions down there to see what's going on. And the Bible says that they stop beating Paul the moment they show up. In other words, they were going to beat Paul to death had the Romans not arrived. And they question, they try to find out what's going on, and they say, hey, we're not going to find out anything from this mob. They're saying this, they're saying that. We don't even see that there's any cause for this guy to be in trouble, but we're going to go ahead and take him and get him out of this situation so that we can stop this mob from destroying his life. That's the job of the government to preserve order and safety and justice, not for just for a few people, but for all people, regardless of their wealth, regardless of their race, regardless of their social or economic, any other background. The job of government is to preserve justice and safety for all people. And all the other stuff the government does, that's gravy. That's on top of that. But God says that government is there, and government actually does its job and preserves the life of Paul in this story. So, back to our sermon title. Almost every single one of us has heard our parents say, if your friends were jumping off of a cliff, would you jump off of a cliff too? And I just heard a yes. <laughs> <clears throat> we are taught that lesson as youngsters. And then we think, oh, well, I've outgrown that lesson. Now I can parrot the words from my parents and say them to my kids, and they'll end up repeating the process. But the reality is, for however grown up we think we are, it is easy even for adults to get caught up. Do you know that anger is contagious? And so I want to remind you today that the next time, all of a sudden, when everybody where you work or everybody in your community or everybody, all of your friends on Facebook, that they're all insanely angry about something, stop <laughs> and say, do we know for sure that these are the facts and this is the truth? Uh, do we... Are we acting rationally or are we out of control in anger? And is this something I really have business being a part of? Or am I trying to step into God's shoes and to do his job when God has said, don't worry, I've got this, vengeance is mine. Christians don't fall into that mob mentality that our world is overwhelmed with. Would you pray with me? Father God, Lord, it, it is it's so easy to allow anger or bitterness or rage to overtake us. And it doesn't matter how old we are or how long we've been a Christian. 
Father, we are experts at slipping back into the ways of the flesh, of the patterns of sin, God. We're good at it. But Father, I pray that you'd help us to walk in the Spirit, to be guided by you, to lead us to that place that we do trust you without any borders in our life in our hobbies, in our friendships, in our family, in our finances, in our career. Father, let all areas of our life be under the lordship of Jesus Christ and let your spirit guide us rather than being driven by anger. Father, bless now the time that we're going to have, uh, Father, to uh, respond to your speaking into our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.